So we find ourselves two weeks removed from a sermon on Ahmad Arbery and Breonna Taylor. And, and this week we have, many of us have, have watched, <laughs> we have watched the death I think, I think killing is an appropriate term. We have watched the killing of George Floyd from a cell phone video. And I understand that there's levels of, of disparity here, but collectively I, I, we are grieving, we are mourning, we are frustrated, we're, we're, we're angry, we're... We're ticked off at so many things. We're ticked off at the silence of the white majority church. We're ticked off at the system that we, that we live in. We're ticked off at a lack, perhaps, of police reform. We're ticked off at the consequences now of, of this action and how they will filter down for, for people of color and also for law enforcement officers that now might be, become victims of retaliation. We're, we're, we're fearful, we're grieving, we're pissed off about all of these things and at least as as a pastor I don't know what to do about them other than continue to talk about them over and over and over and I know that for many of you like you're frustrated you've been reaching out you're saying I don't know how to deal with all these feelings I feel like I'm beginning to hate certain people namely the people that are online justifying actions that are completely unconscionable that have no justification whatsoever yet people are hell-bent on flipping the narrative and and justifying certain things and they really cannot be done and all of this i know it like like my feelings they they pale in comparison to the feelings of our black and brown brothers and sisters because what, what they're going through and, and what, what they're attempting to, to reconcile and what they have been attempting to reconcile for their entire lives, seemingly, is a, is a world that doesn't really seem to care about black bodies. So my, my rage, my, my, uh, my disgust, it, it pales in comparison. I understand that. I also know that that my that my fear, um, which honestly I, I don't ha- I don't have a lot of fear. I'm I'm a, I'm a middle class white guy, and when I go out onto the street, I don't fear my life. And 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 in that respect, I can't identify with what Laura is feeling. I can't identify with what what Bethany or what Stephanie is feeling when their husbands leave and go to work and wear the badge that they might not come home that night. I cannot identify with that and I don't know what to do with that and as I've been as I've been processing that sort of that sort of uh, mentality it seems very appropriate to, to liken it to every every black and brown parent that when their teenage son leaves the house or maybe even younger whenever their whenever their children leave the house that they might be mistaken for someone else or that they might be identified wrongly, that they might be in the wrong place at the wrong time and that they too might die. I don't know what to do with that and I can't really identify with any of that. But it's all coming to light and it's been coming to light and it's I'm finding it impossible 
to address and I'm finding it impossible to talk about in any meaningful way that doesn't denigrate the very real feelings of people in, in a myriad of situations in life. And perhaps you find yourself there too. What I, what I have been doing and what I will continue to do is I will, I will be a, an active anti-racist on Facebook and I will join my black and brown brothers and sisters who are exhausted of having to explain their feelings to, to every person who calls it into question. Like their science teacher's cousin who rolls up onto their Facebook page. They don't know who this person is and they just start talking nonsense. Like that's got to be exhausting. And I can carry some of that load just to show up and say something. I can continue and I will continue to be a, to be a student and to, to learn and to engage and to have meaningful conversations with people to help self-assess my own privilege and my own prejudice and my own learned uh, racism that is real, that I, have to, that I have to reconcile, that I have to rid myself of, that when my privilege comes to light, that I learn how to use it in a way that could be of some benefit to anybody, anywhere, I will continue to, to stand in solidarity with people that are, that are hurting. I, I will continue to, to march if need be. I will continue to call for reforms to happen. I will continue to be uh, an advocate. And I will also continue to, to love and care for my friends who I know are hurting as well. The call to follow Jesus. If somebody tells you it's easy, they're not doing it. I know like his, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Cool. <laughs> he also said the world hated me and it's gonna hate you too. And I hope that we get the right kind of hate. I hope that we're not getting hate just because we're jerks. I hope that we're getting hate because we're standing up for the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized, that we're standing up for people that may not have had their voices heard. And I hope that we're standing up for my friends too. Jesus tells a story in, in Luke chapter 10 and I've been hanging out here uh, for the last few days because I think it's, it's appropriate and it's, uh, it's powerful and it's something that we should consider. It's well known. You, you know the story. Um, I'm going to tell it and then we're going we're gonna to conclude. A legal expert, a lawyer, approaches Jesus and he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I love this question. I love Jesus' response, first of all, because he doesn't say, well, funny you asked. Let me take you to the book of Romans. See, there's five steps. First, like he doesn't go Romans road. He doesn't go altar call. He doesn't say, well, all you need to do is close your eyes, bow your head, and, and raise your hand, and repeat this prayer after me. He doesn't do any of that, which is 
helpful and I think worthy of consideration. Uh, but the, the lawyer, it says he comes to test Jesus, to, to maybe to trick Jesus, to entrap Jesus. We know that there's religious leaders who are out to get him and to, to get him on record, to get the soundbite so that they could execute him, uh, which they, they are successful in doing uh, later on in the story, as you know. But he comes and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, as he always does, he flips the question back on uh, the interlocutor, the lawyer, and he says, well, you're an expert. You know the law. You tell me, good sir. So the lawyer says, well, uh, he, he goes to the Shema, that, that classic text in, in Deuteronomy 6, and, and he cites the back half. He's like, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, which comes from a different Old Testament text. Now, Jesus says, nice job, good one. Do that, you'll be fine. Remember, no Romans Road, no, uh, no altar call. Uh, and I understand this is a teaching point, but still, I think that's instructive for us. Cool, do that. And the, the lawyer's discontent with, with the, the answer that Jesus gives and wants to push more, maybe again to entrap, maybe to, to, to test, maybe just to see where Jesus is theologically. And he says, um, okay, but how do I love my neighbor? Who, who is my neighbor? And Jesus launches into this story that we all know quite well. He says, well, funny you should ask. Sit down, let me tell you a story. This is my interpretation, not, not the Bible's. So he begins in the story and he says, well, there was a man who was traveling from Jerusalem. He's going to Jericho. Uh, we can assume that since Jesus is telling this story in a, uh, in a Jewish community, we can assume this man who is traveling is Jewish. And he's uh, going on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho and anecdotally, um, traveling was risky business because there may be robbers who will uh, beat and rob uh, people on their on their travels and this is what happens in this made-up story that Jesus tells he says you know this group of robbers they come and they, they beat this person they take his money and they leave him for dead and then in the story people start to walk by the first person who walks by is a priest and again going from Jerusalem, maybe to Jericho. It's not like they had a, a, a huge highway system, so you're kind of, you know, heading in on certain roads to go certain places. And it's, it's again, uh, assumed that this priest has left his priestly duties and now he's going somewhere else and perhaps he's still observing his ritual purification. Of course he is. So he sees this, this bloodied man on the street and he doesn't want anything to do with him, so he kind of side skirts this man and, and goes on his way. Uh, the next person up is a Levite, same thing, sort of uh, representative of the Jewish religious system and not wanting to engage, just kind of sidesteps and goes around. Now, the Bible doesn't say anything about their inner psyche. It doesn't say anything about the reasons and rationalities why. Again, it could be the Jewish purification system. It could just be uh, the fact that they didn't want to bother themselves. It could just be the fact that they felt more comfortable being silent, that they didn't want to engage in any of these sorts of things because that would put them on the hook and that if they cared for this person, then they might be labeled a certain way. So they didn't really want to do that. Uh, instead, they just wanted to completely avoid the situation. The third person who shows up is a Samaritan, and the way the story is told, this will be the hook. So when Jesus tells parables, there's often like a twist or, or something in the story where you're like, oh gosh, that, that one hurts. It's like a terrible example. It's like an M. Night Shyamalan movie, you know, at the end of the village, and you're like, whoa, it was all set in current day just ruined that movie for you. Go watch it anyway. So like the parables, they have these, these hooks. And, and Jesus introduces this person. He says the third person who shows up, it was a Samaritan. And the audience would have been 
like gasping and like, what's he doing there? Samaritans are gross. They're stupid. We hate them. Uh, we have a level of disdain for them. They have their own religion. They have their own temple. They have their own stuff. They're not part of our group. But Jesus makes the Samaritan, the disdained one, the hero of the story, because the Samaritan sees the Jewish man on the ground and ministers to his needs, despite the divide between peoples that exists in the community, the Samaritan breaks the barriers, dresses the wounds, puts the man on the donkey, takes him to a place of lodging, pays for his care, pays for his food, puts some money down, says, I'll be back, and he comes back and he cares for the person. So Jesus tells the story about two religious leaders, sort of like the lawyer, who do nothing, and tells the story of a hated Samaritan who does everything, and then concludes with this really great question. He says, which of these three do you think? I love that translation in the NRSV, do you think? It's sort of snide. Which one of these do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the lawyer, it's been noted by many, can't say the word Samaritan. Instead, he says, the one who showed mercy. And you can imagine he's saying it through gritted teeth because he hates this person. This story really uh, it has, uh, it has overtones of, of, of anti-racism, it has overtones of, of inclusion, it has overtones of all sorts of beautiful Jesus-y sorts of, sorts of things that usually gets lost on most folks because we just think that it turns into a, a completely universal um, care for people, love people, whatever, and it doesn't, it doesn't include any of the, the graphic like divides that stand between people groups. Jesus and his stories, they're, they're often, always, way more weighty than just these pithy, takeaway, universalistic sort of um, pieces of truth and wisdom. Like it's, it's cutting, it's biting, like it's got a hook to it. And Jesus, when he hears this answer, he doesn't engage it. He just says, go and do likewise. So if there was this sort of test, Jesus passes and the lawyer fails. Um, but what we have in this story is, is a model that often the religious people do nothing, that often the religious people are silent, that often the religious people do not acknowledge the hurt that they see in the world, that often the religious people are too concerned with their own agenda and where it is that they're going to be bothered with dressing wounds and caring for broken people. And what Jesus seems to be saying in that really cutting sort of way is the person that you, that you hate in this instance, like they're they're the ones that you should embody and follow. And remember, this is all couched in terms of what do I do to inherit eternal life? I'm going to leave that to the side. So the question then becomes, in light of all the things that we see, all of the hurt and the pain that we are hearing being uttered by people, real people that we know saying, I'm hurting, I need acknowledgement, I need a voice to affirm. 
which of these three is a neighbor to them. I don't think it's as easy as posting something on Facebook. A good friend of mine is probably right when she says that issues of social justice will not be solved on Facebook, much less with a share or a like or a comment. I, I don't say that to denigrate the work because TRP, to be honest, I've seen you guys doing beautiful, beautiful and powerful and risky work online. Even the ones who are usually silent, you're becoming vocal. And the way that you're carrying yourself, it's God-honoring, and I believe that it's making Jesus very pleased. But in light of, of these situations and these circumstances where we have all of these people on the side of the road, how will we care for them? How will we love our black and brown neighbor? How will we love our other neighbors who are also hurting and fearful and concerned? May we not, may we not, TRP, be the priest and the Levite who has other more important things going on and who will not take a risk to care for anyone 